The Orioles have now won a season-high five games in a row with a win over the Angels on Thursday night. But it's not just going well at the major league level. A lot of talent in the minors as well, especially at the low minor league levels. We'll break it all down with Eric Garfield coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Friday, July 8th, 2022. And welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we start with another Orioles victory. The O's beat the Angels 4-1 on Thursday night in Game 1 of a four-game series. And I'll get you the five things you need to know from the Orioles' fifth consecutive victory. Then we'll bring a familiar guest back onto the show. It is Eric Garfield, who covers all things Orioles down in Sarasota. He'll come on to talk about some of the players who have starred in the FCL so far this season at Rookie Ball for the O's. He was in Delmarva a couple of weeks ago, and we'll talk about which players for the Shorebirds stood out, including how good Heston Kerstad has been since returning to the field. We'll also talk about guys like Carter Baumler, guys like Matt Harvey and Brennan Hanafy in their rehab assignments in the FCL, and then a little bit more about the Orioles system as a whole. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, which is brought to you by Sports Card Investor. Orioles fans, you are going to love this. Today's episode is brought to you by the Sports Card Investor app. Welcome to the world of trading cards reimagined. Stay tuned later in the show for more information on this awesome new tool for collectors. You're going to want to check out the Sports Card investor app. But let's get right to it here on today's episode because it's a little bit of a long one, but we got a lot of good content coming at you. And that starts with an Orioles victory. Orioles 4, Angels 1 in game one of a four-game set on Thursday night at Camden Yards. The win gives the Orioles five wins in a row, their longest winning streak since all the way back in 2019. And for the O's, their longest winning streak, of course, of the year gets them to 40 wins on the season. 40 and 44. The Baltimore Orioles get to 40 wins on July 7th. In 2021, the Orioles didn't reach 40 wins until August 26th. They were 40 and 86 when they got that 40th victory. They're now 40 and 44. Think about that. I mean, that is absurd. The Orioles starting today, would have to go on a stretch of 42 consecutive losses just to meet where they were last year. The turnaround has been fantastic. But I'll get you the five things you need to know from the Orioles' 4-1 to win over the Angels, starting with Jordan Lyles, as he likes to say, did it for the boys on Thursday night. Lyles goes six-plus innings, allowing one run on five hits, struck out four, and walked two threw 104 pitches, and lowered his ERA to 4.50 on the season. Now listen, Jordan Lyles did not have his best stuff. And to be quite honest with you, Jordan Lyles wasn't that close to having his best stuff. 11 hard-hit balls by Angels batters against him in those six-plus innings. He had a lot of traffic on the bases. He left the bases loaded in the first inning, and that was probably his toughest inning. But, you know, there were base runners on pretty much every frame for the Angels, and it didn't matter. Lyles got out of all those jams, even with only four strikeouts. You know, it wasn't a lot of swings and misses that got him out of the jams. It was just making good pitches 
and getting help from his defense, even on some hard contact. It was just kind of the the grinder, the gritty mentality from Lyles, who, listen, he threw 104 pitches. He only got five whiffs on 42 swings on Thursday night. The stuff was not good. He threw 16 four-seamers that the Angels swung at. They did not swing and miss on any of his four-seamers. He threw 37 four-seamers in total on the night, did not get one swing and miss on that pitch. It was a little bit of a struggle for him, but he got through it somehow, some way. I mean, really his only good pitch on the night was his slider, got two of his five whiffs on that, used it for 24 of his 104 pitches. But he used all five pitches more than 11 times. He mixed speeds. He mixed locations. He got in and out of trouble. The only run he gave up was, you know, he went back out there at 100 pitches to start the seventh inning and allowed a leadoff double, came out of the game, and that run eventually came in to score. But that was it. He was gritty. He was just what the doctor ordered for the Orioles, even though he wasn't his best. You'll take it every day of the week from Jordan Lyles. Second thing you need to know from this one is that Adley Rutschman hit his first home run of his career at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. And it gave the Orioles the lead, got him on the board as the home run off the bat of Adley hitting from the left side uh, against Angels starter Chase Silseth, who did not have a good night, allowed four runs on six hits over four innings. But Adley touched him up for a solo homer in the second inning that gave the O's a 1-0 lead to open the scoring. 102 miles per hour off the bat, 366 feet, a laser line drive just sneaking into the flag court in right field for the solo shot. And for Adley, nice to see him get the long ball at home his fourth of the season. He uh, continues to hit the ball hard. Listen, he was had another home run taken away. Would have been a three-run opposite field home run late in the game that uh, would have been maybe a homer last year. Ended up being a fly out to left. Now, he only had the one for four. That one hit was his home run. But Adley had three hard-hit balls on the night. Just crushed the baseball on Thursday night, continues to swing that bat well. Third thing you need to know is that Jorge Lopez went right back out there and did it again for the Orioles. It was a save situation, 4-1 to one, heading to the top of the ninth, and what do you know, here comes Jorge Lopez. After the bad stretch over the weekend, he gets the one-run save on Wednesday night, and he's right back out there on Thursday. Fifth appearance in seven days for Jorge Lopez. And it did not phase him. He allowed a one-out single, but that was it. A scoreless ninth inning. Strikes out Brandon Marsh looking on a great breaking ball to end the game and secure the win and his 15th save. And yeah, there were a couple pitches that got away from him, and yeah, he gave up a hit. But he seems to be settling right back in to where he was early in the year, and that is beautiful for Orioles fans to see. And the fourth thing you need to know is that the rest of the bullpen was fantastic as well. The Orioles used three relievers on the night. Lopez was the only one who allowed a base runner. After Jordan Lyles allowed the leadoff double in the seventh, Brandon Hyde went to the bullpen, brought out Joey Crable. It was a ground out and then a sack fly that got the Angels on the board, but he finished the seventh inning with a strikeout of our old friend Jonathan Villar. And then CNL Perez came in in the eighth, and Cedric Mullins helped him out. Mike Trout hit one deep to right center. Probably wasn't a homer, but it was at least a double, and Mullins made a great catch for the first out. And then CNL Perez just did Shohei Otani dirty with three whiffs on sliders to strike him out. Then he strikes out Taylor Ward looking with a nasty slider to end the eighth. Then, of course, Lopez finishes it off. But Crable's ERA now 2.40. Perez's ERA now 0.96. And Lopez's ERA 1.79. This Orioles bullpen is fun. 
And the fifth thing you need to know is that the Orioles' offense, despite only scoring four runs, got contributions from everyone in this game. Four runs on eight hits in the ballgame. The Orioles really should have scored more, and they deserved more than eight hits in this game. They, they, they got unlucky with the bats tonight. The Orioles had 14 hard-hit balls, but only eight hits on the night. You had Adley with three hard-hit balls, Santander, did have a two-hit game, although he was the only Oriole with a two-hit game, a single and a double, two-hard hit. Jonathan Areuz did not have a hit, went 0 for 2 with a walk, but he had two hard-hit balls on the night as well. And all 10 Orioles that came to the plate in the game reached base. Cedric Mullins a single. Trey Mancini a single at an RBI. Anthony Santander had the two hits. Ryan Mountcastle had a double, an RBI, actually a double, two RBIs and a walk in the game. Austin Hayes drew a walk, his first one in like three weeks. Adley Rutschman hit the home run. Rugnado Dor drew a walk. Arauz drew a walk. Ramon Arias had a pinch hit single in the eighth inning. And Jorge Mateo had a single as well. Everybody got on base for the Orioles. and Everybody contributed to the 4-1 to win over the Angels to take game one of a four-game series. And again, the O's five wins in a row, their longest winning streak of the season. They can keep it going coming up tonight. But the O's, of course, got three more games against the Angels coming up Friday, Saturday, Sunday at Camden Yards this weekend. But for the rest of today's episode of the pod, wanted to focus on the minor leagues for the O's. But not as much all the talent in the upper minor leagues like D.L. Hall, Gunnar Henderson, Jordan Westberg, and others. We'll talk about those guys a little bit, but wanted to specifically focus on the lower levels. Mostly the FCL at Rookie Ball started play in June. And everyone's favorite Baltimore Orioles FCL correspondent, Eric Garfield, is back on the podcast. We're going to talk about some of the pitchers and hitters who have impressed so far this year at the Rookie Ball level in Sarasota. We'll talk about what he saw when he traveled to Delmarva this summer and saw some of the young players there, including how impressive Heston Kerstad and Carter Baumler both look, returning from injury and finally making their pro debuts. We'll talk about many more guys in the O's system coming up right after this with Eric Garfield. But first, got to tell you about sports card investor, maybe the most exciting new partner we have here on the show. Because if you are into collecting baseball cards or any kind of sports cards, sports card investor is for you. Welcome to the world of sports cards reimagined. The Sports Card Investor app is the hobby's most powerful resource. Quickly check the value of your favorite cards, find great deals, and profit from the hobby you love. Available completely free in the Google Play and Apple App Stores, the Sports Card Investor app is a must-have for baseball fans. What makes it great is, well, the app's free. There's hundreds of thousands of cards on the app, but you can check the latest values of your favorite cards. They've got seven-day charts. they got 30-day charts. And here's the thing that really gets it for me. I'm not a big collector, but this, you know, going through this app just makes it so easy. You can find the best prices on a card you want to buy. And, you know, you can buy it right there. Buy directly through the app with their eBay deals feature. You can do everything you need right on the app. It, it, it's a must. You got to get it. If you have like cards at all, you have to download it. So download the Sports Card Investor app today. Available for free in the Google Play and Apple App Stores. Or go to sportscardinvestor.com slash locked on. So there's plenty of talent at the major league level right now for the Orioles. A lot going on well. Also a lot of talent at the minor league level, especially at the lower levels that many of you may not know about. But Eric Garfield is back with us here on the podcast to talk about all the talent in the lower minor leagues for the Orioles. And Eric, first of all, thank you so much for hopping back on the pot. 
You're welcome. Uh, I appreciate you having me. I always appreciate the uh, any opportunity to talk about the Orioles minors and uh, interact with your audience and communicate with you. So let's get to it. You continue to grow your own audience as well. And, uh, you know, it's even going to get, I feel like, bigger for you coming up because when everybody, I think, really, really tunes in, like, hourly, it seems like, to your stuff is when the draft picks initially come to the FCL. And I know the views on your videos are going to skyrocket in a couple of weeks as well. But before that draft happens, we wanted to get info on the guys who are starring in the FCL right now. So let's start with, you know, I wanted to ask you about a, a couple of hitters and, and a couple of pitchers who have starred. But I think the number one name that Orioles fans want to know about who is still in the FCL is Samuel Basayo, who, you know, just it's a pretty swing. We love to watch it. He's got raw power. But, you know, what else is it about his game from what you've seen from him so far this season? Well, first things first, he's listed at 6'3", 180, and he's probably closer to 6'4", 6'5", 220, or 230, like in that range. He's a really big person, not just a person for 17. So he's he's a large guy, very light on his feet, uh, as adept as a first baseman as he is as a catcher and he's excellent at both like maybe among the rookie league's best defensive player at at both positions so uh, a versatile defender but his calling card is making contact and loud long contact too he was in a little home run streak uh last week when he hit his first then uh the next game he hit two in a row so he had three in a two-game uh, window, but he has his OPS is over nine. His batting average is over 320. So, uh, I, I, you know, he's young, very young, not not 18 yet, but uh, I wouldn't be shocked to see him get a little bit of seasoning at a higher level this year just because he's so advanced in, in every baseball way. Yeah, I'd like to see a, a Creed Willem-Samuel Basayo combo at the at the end of the Del Marva season. That so would, would I. That would definitely be fun to see. Uh, those two guys. And listen, oh, yeah. in terms of raw power, I don't think anyone else in low A is going to have more raw power from the catching position uh, when those two get together. So that should uh, that should certainly be fun. But uh, I know you wanted to, to mention Anderson De Los Santos as well. Oh, yeah. I think he's one of the other bigger names among the hitters currently in the FCL that Orioles fans across the border are starting to get to know a little bit better. But what should we know about him? Because not as big a signing or as big a name as Basayo, but obviously a big talent. Right. I think, you know, development is different for every guy. Every, every case is really different. And his stats are not eye-catching. And I wrote a scouting report a couple weeks ago, like, you got, you got to have faith in a young player's ability and athleticism and improvement. And I'm, I started seeing that louder contact, a little bit longer fly balls for his, for his outs, just, you know, hits – closer to the holes but not there and i thought a little bit more would be forthcoming and he hit his first uh, another guy he hit his uh debut home run and then he, he had, he's now up to two so uh a, a, a not tall like basayo athlete but really well built not skinny in good shape from from the feet all the way up a good defender at the corner and I guess early in the FCL season or the extended spring season, he would make the play. He would get to everything, but he couldn't transition into a throw. And even if he could, the throw wasn't always good. Now that's totally different. 
Now he's getting everything. I even put up a video the other day of a ball that went right over the line foul, but he reached into the third base hole and made a great throw, no bounces across. So that's something he couldn't do five weeks ago. So I'm trusting in the development that I see. And I don't think he's done anything like that. You know, he's 18, 19 years old. So I'm going to, I'm going to say he's going to be a little bit of a power corner that presents an interesting developmental uh, observation as he makes his way through the minors. Oriole fans are going to, are going to like him very quiet, but pretty chill, has a good attitude, uh, smiles a lot. So a real, a really good kid and a good baseball player too. Yeah, and, and as we know, this level especially is is all about the development. If the stats come, the stats come. But if, if he's doing things that the Orioles in-house want him to do, that's how they evaluate a successful season, especially at this level. But over the pitching side, I think the best part about the guys that we wanted to talk about on the pitching side is that it went so well for them that Darn. they got promoted to Delmarva. And that's the best part because if somebody's playing really well, you hopefully don't see them for all that long because they so get promoted weird. to full season baseball. So let's start with a guy who I think opened a lot of eyes in his first Delmarva start in Davy Cruz, right. who came out as this kind of lanky teenage lefty, goes to Delmarva, a team that, you know, the pitching staff in general has had, you know, its struggles throughout the season. It's because of age at that level, obviously. But he was really impressive with strikeout stuff and a mid 90s fastball. I mean, was that what you saw when he was pitching the FCL? Uh, the arsenal was not fully open, but you, you could see the heat. He definitely threw the fastball by a lot of guys. Uh, the thing that stood out in the rookie leagues was lefties just didn't have a chance whatsoever. Some of these are, you know, 17 years old, like don't even have 30 pro at bats and stateside. So his heat, our, part of the arsenal was very advanced for, for, for his age and, like, overall inexperience. So he's got great stuff. He goes for the strikeout. He's very confident, a lot of moxie. He's, like, uh, like a loud and outgoing personality but not obnoxious, just, you know, pumps his fist, stuff like that. So uh, I, I, I was not – I was surprised that he was gone, but when my brain was like, well, just think about the stuff. You know, is, is it rookie league stuff? No, it's not. It's not rookie league heat. So I wasn't that uh, that shocked that he got caught up. And I'm certainly not, you know, I know what Loe is like. So if he can if he can beat lefties there and get into good counts, he's got the stuff to finish them rather efficiently. And it, I think he has three appearances, but he's already shown that type of proficiency. Let's have some quick innings, get it over with, and end up with a strikeout or two. Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, it's still a teenager. And you think about hardest throwing lefties in the Orioles system. Obviously, D.L. Hall is number one. But Cruz is right up there in terms Good of just point. velocity from the left side. You know, right behind D.L. Hall at that age, at that level is is pretty exciting as well. But another guy who, you know, recently got the promotion and, you know, Orioles fans got a little bit of a better look at was Miguel Padilla, who, you know, was also just a, a pitcher who, you know, is a teenager and in the FCL and we, you know, don't know much about him. And now he gets to Delmarva and is another guy who is bringing up the talent level of that Delmarva rotation. What can you tell us about Padilla? I very much appreciate the opportunity to educate on Padilla. Uh, he's someone that I've watched down here for quite a while. And he's always had that completely dirty breaking ball. 
the kind that just grabs the spin straight down. He can put it right in your face, and you still can't hit it. Sometimes it's 73. Sometimes it's almost as much as like 81 or 83. So it's it's really all, all in his hand. Working off of that has not always been easy for him, especially last year. He had you know, a, a couple steps forward and several steps back. He couldn't work his way out of adversity. Three ball counts after three ball counts. So from then till now, I noticed, you know, a, 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 a mild difference. But like the last three weeks, his starts have been like laser focused. Guys can't get on base. He'll give up a long hit just because he was in the zone. And then he'll get right back to it. So immense, maybe more leaps in maturity than actual stuff. But now it's all coming together. And it, uh, another guy, you know, when he got to Delmarva, he had more than several strikeouts. And they were all of the breaking ball, m- or most of the breaking ball variety. And you got to see his attitude and his confidence and his moxie walking off the mound. So uh, I'm very, very happy to see him advance in the system. And the more fans watch him and look at that breaking ball, they're going to be in awe like, like, like I've been. Yeah, and it's, really, it's really going like to be fun to see these these young guys continue to, to grow through the system. And, and these are two guys we talked about, Padilla and Cruz. I mean, most likely they're not going to get to Aberdeen this year. They're, they're, they're in full season ball. They're going to go through a, a half season in full season ball. And that's fine, especially at their age. But if they're having success, well, then they're in Aberdeen to start next year. And then you start peeking, you know, and, and looking at timeline up the system, obviously, once that begins. But, you know, you're not just seeing teenagers in the FCL, you're seeing rehabbing guys as well, which is always interesting uh, to get a feel for. And the first guy I want to talk about is Brennan Hannafee, who you mentioned to me, who, you know, had the Tommy John and, you know, was putting together good numbers. And I was really excited about him. I had talked to uh, basically his pitching trainer last offseason, shortly before Hannafee had gotten injured. And he had come on the podcast and basically said, like, this is a new Brennan Hannafee. Like, watch out. He's going to come up the system quickly. And early last season, he gets the injury, gets the Tommy John surgery. So, you know, you're not going to get the full package in one to two inning rehab stints in the FCL. But at least how does he look health-wise? Have you talked to him at all? And, and you know, where can you see him getting to this year once they deem he's at least 100% to go back to full season ball? Uh, I've not talked to him uh, personally. Some guys are more outgoing and some guys are more, I like to work when I'm at work. And he's definitely in the second category, which is totally cool. But to your first first point and, and the pitching coach from before, they're right. I see a little bit more snap on his fastball, a little bit. But the sinker is sinking strong already, like right off the bat. Like he just, like, there was a line drive in his first game that ended up being a hit, but the batter connected so well. I, I, when I heard the contact and saw the bat through the zone, I was like, that's a double off the wall if it's not a tater. And it was a sinking single. And I was like, man, that ball must have had more da- down action than I even thought. So for the rest, that was at Pirate City. I'll actually be there uh, tomorrow. So the rest of his appearance, any contact went straight to the ground. And I was just thinking, you know, that's kind of what he's supposed to be when everything is working at a higher phase of development. Now he's finally there. So uh, I would expect if he stays down here for a while, that his starts are going to be or his appearances are going to be really, really short 
and filled with a lot of strikes. You know, he's mid-20s, been through the several stages of development, and a lot of guys he's facing are like 17 to 19 and and, and have not. So you know, great, great for the system, but great for him. He's been here for for quite a while getting better. So uh, good story if he gets out of Sarasota and does so healthy. Yeah, he was he was pretty close to Norfolk and, and right. being kind of set up in Norfolk before the injury. So, you know, it, it obviously stinks for him in the development, but great to see him healthy. Great to see the Orioles, you know, not even thinking about, you know, cutting him free, you know, as a Tommy John guy in the minor leagues, which happens to guys across baseball. You get an injury like that and you're you're still a double A prospector below. It can put your career in jeopardy a little bit, but the O's obviously see something in him. And that development, you know, that I talked about with his pitching coach on the pod was you know, he kind of went from an old school sinker baller to kind of a new school sinker baller um, with with, you know, helping with breaking balls, becoming kind of the, the the sinker slider guys that are coming back basically now in the major leagues. But in terms of other older guys, I mean, I know you got to see a little bit of Matt Harvey. I really think we're going to see him fairly soon in the big leagues, probably by August. Um, and, you know, I know there's a couple guys maybe coming soon on rehab. I know you saw Sir Video as well before he got to Delmarva. Are, are there a couple of those guys, one of those guys who just stood out? You know, they're going to stand out because they're more talented and more experienced than everybody else on the field. But just, you know, development and rehab that you felt went really well for some of those guys. Harvey was awesome. You know, the, the, his his starts are have been just great. You know, he shows his, his the difference in skill level. So, uh I, I don't know what the Orioles' plans for him are, but I, I see no reason to disagree with you. You know, they're, they're going to need these, and they're going to need experienced innings in the latter part of the season, and he's – I'm watching him prepare for that role. So uh, he's one. Uh, another one that's that's coming back that's kind of been uh, injured and getting close and, and uh, is officially finally close is uh, corner Toby Welk. So I think tomorrow at uh, Pittsburgh should be his first game action in quite a while, maybe like four weeks, five weeks, something like that. So uh, if everything goes well for him and he doesn't have any setbacks, mild or, or worse, then he should be out of here before the end of like a week from from now. So there's, there's one among uh, others. I saw Reed Trimble, actually. I watched his setback a couple weeks ago, so... Uh, I don't really have a general idea or timetable on him. He said he was getting better, but, you know, it's been a couple of weeks since I've seen him, so that's really all I have to go on. Yeah, and for, for a guy like Reed Trimble, too, he was interesting because when he originally had the injury, they said, you know, a, t- a potential timeline of maybe nine months, and then he was back much sooner than that, and then, of course, ha- had the setback. So hopefully, you know, if Reed doesn't really play a lot more this year, I'm almost okay with that if they just want to make sure he gets back to 100%. Because um, I really like him as a prospect and a high draft pick from last year. But we know, you know, that a lot of these guys that you see and, and you know, you become friendly with and, and talk to them at the ballpark and watch <laughs> them play, a lot of them get promoted. And right. I know you had a chance to go see them at their at their new home a couple of weeks ago in Delmarva. So we're going to talk about that coming up in just a second with Eric Garfield. But first, got to tell you about Built Bar, the most delicious protein bar out there on the market. Now, you've got plenty of choices when you're picking a protein bar. They're everywhere. But the difference is with Built Bar is that it's covered in 100% real chocolate and it tastes like a candy bar. They've always coming out with these brand new flavors that taste delicious. It doesn't kind of have that chalky taste that a lot of protein bars do. And it's not just the bars. They have Built Puffs, a protein-infused marshmallow covered in chocolate as well in plenty of good flavors like cinnamon churro. 
to me, probably the best one that they have. But so many different flavors. You can check them all out at Built.com. And if you go there and use the promo code LOCKED15, you'll get 15% off your order. Again, that is promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. So we're here with Eric Garfield, who is the number one source of all things Orioles baseball, anything happening in the general area of Sarasota, Florida. Eric is on it. Um, He was even in Miami on Wednesday night to watch Shohei Otani pitch. And, uh, you know, Eric, I think uh, just to go way off topic here, but good for the Major League Orioles. One, you got to see Shohei pitch Wednesday night. And that means despite a four-game series, the Orioles will avoid Shohei this weekend, which uh, which is probably good for Baltimore. It was a lot of fun. He was awesome, and I'd love to start the series with Patrick Sandoval, not him. Yes, exactly. But <laughs> let's go down to the low-A level because you made a trip to Delmarva a couple of weeks ago to see the Shorebirds, see some guys who you, you had seen a lot down in Sarasota. Now, I'm going to get to some other guys, but Heston Kerstad is hitting just shy of 500, and at some point he's going to go to Aberdeen, and he might be in Bowie by the end of this year if all things go well health-wise for Kerstad. But we know the story. Myocarditis comes back, hamstring injury, leaves, comes back again. Just crushing low A pitching. How much, I mean, really the kind of question is for you, you got to see it a little bit live, and you know, you've you've seen him at, at levels. Just just how much more advanced does he look than than some of the other hitters at that level? Maybe as much as the best player in low A baseball. And I don't think it's like as his number one online defender, I don't think that's that lofty of a claim. He's an outstanding hitter. He's an elite hitter. He's like any organization's top five prospect type hitter. So everything you're seeing is real. And watching what I was at the scrimmage where he went after that Adley liner hard. And, you know, it's we can discuss how hard guys should be playing when they're pay is limited or not at all at that time so what but it was rough to see him not go upwards in playing time availability and health and have that long layoff but I never doubted he would be awesome he you know he he is so to answer your question in a unnecessarily long way I, I I think he's probably the best low a hitter there is whatever his developmental track is or whatever the Orioles plans are for the rest of the year, I just want him to continue to put up numbers wherever he plays and have them be of the, I'm the best hitter in this league uh, variety. If things work out for Bowie and they, you know, the, the new nucleus they have pushes them towards the playoffs. Wouldn't it be great to add him for the last 10 games, you know, a sometimes pinch hitter, sometimes three, four hitter right fielder. So you know, Heston's outstanding. The Orioles made such a great draft pick with him and, and avoiding Austin Martin. It really is, you know, two, two, two things going in very much opposite directions as I see it. Yeah, and, you know, that is exactly what the Orioles did with Gunnar Henderson last year. Oh, but yeah. we got to the playoffs. They said, Good why don't point, you come man. up for a couple of weeks? Just right. uh, see what you can do. And Gunnar Henderson, speaking of a couple of weeks, might be a couple of weeks away from Major League Baseball right now. So, I don't know if Heston will be on that trajectory next year just because of all the developmental time he still has to make up. But uh, the Orioles do uh, like getting guys a little taste at the end of a minor league season. But, you know, Heston is the, the big name in Delmarva right now, and he's not long for the Shorebirds. At, at any point now, we'll see him in Aberdeen. But there's other guys who are, you know, kind of at the level 
they should be at now in, in their development. And Good point. maybe maybe you wouldn't put Carter Baumler in that spot because he also you know, had an injury. But another guy like Kerstad, who we finally got to see in affiliated ball this year, and what's been your takeaway? I know he's you know on the injury list right now, just you know, kind of little shoulder inflammation, you know, shut him down. But and it was only three inning stints. But it looked fairly electric, at least from the the broadcast cameras. What what was it like to see Baumler? I mean, it's like something. The more I pay attention to this stuff closely, different things emerge with different people. Electric is an outstanding word and very appropriate. His slot, his slider bites in either direction diagonally, so tight, and it's not it's not there yet. He's still in recovery, and he's still in some ways ligament extension usage wise getting to a better stage of health. So however you want to term it, 90% or 95%, he's not 100% and his stuff is moving so tight. The, the, he has a great finishing pitch with a high fastball. I did not see that much in the rookie leagues despite his good stats and good performances. Get to Delmarva, the hitters are a little bit better, a little more trained. He's got a high fastball to put him away at two balls. So. Carter, you know, speaking of the 2020 draft, Carter is, uh, when I see criticisms online that the Orioles don't have that much pitching, he is now the first name that I think of, like, oh, you guys just don't know about how actually good he is. He might, as he goes through the minors, he might not be on, like, a starter track, but maybe, like, an ace or a one track. And we'll we'll have a great answer to that, like, a year from now. Right. You know, we need to see him pitch a whole season, obviously, but he's still super young. And because of his injury, you know, Kobe Mayo has gotten all of the praise of, you know, when the O's saved money on Kerstad, they were able to get Mayo. They threw extra money to Baumler, too, to keep him from going to college and to get him to sign out of high school. And, you know, obviously hasn't been talked about because he's been injured. Nobody's really seen him pitch. So you're not going to put him in that conversation. But now that we're seeing him pitch, you know, at some point, he's going to be back in that conversation uh, with Kobe Mayo when you bring up that oh, yeah. 2020 draft. But okay. we mentioned Cruz and Padilla earlier. You know, Kerstad and, and Baumler are the bigger names. But I know there's guys you got to see who were guys who grinded it out through the FCL and got themselves into Del Marva. Just wanted to give you a chance to to highlight one or two of, of those guys who you got to see when you got to Del Marva, guys who you had watched a lot in the FCL and are now you know thriving in, in full season ball. Well, one of them is just like Carter. You know, it's like Oriole fans that are into the minors. We talk about this guy, but he, he, you know, he should be discussed or maybe publicly known a little bit more. Maybe even like for dynasty people, like you know, fantasy, long-term fantasy. That's the Baumler's piggyback. The when I was in Delmarva, they only won one game against Fayetteville. It was on uh, Wednesday when Carter started and Juan De Los Santos backed him up. Now. You know, he, he is a really big guy, big in the middle and huge legs. And this guy weighs 260, like not 240. So he uses those legs to power for uh, finish to to power the fastball as an excellent finisher. And he does that somewhat consistently per appearance, not, you know, he's up, up and down. He's lacking consistency in results but not lacking consistency in strikeouts and how he fools batters. So uh, I really think right now he's in an outstanding phase of development. He can control himself on the mound. He can use his physical skills. He can make the ball move in the air. So I think the next stage for him is 
dominating hitters consistently. And I would expect that to happen. And I would probably think he stays low, low A for this year. But he's the kind of guy that comes to camp next year, focused, determined, and starts out at, at Aberdeen. And I would expect him to have a good season there, like a la Gene Pinto. That's that's pretty good company to to put him in with, and then I and then like give me yeah yeah and, and and give me a give me a hitter that kind of falls into the same category who you you saw in the FCL got to see in in Delmarva and is starting to put it together at full season. Okay, uh, sometimes three, four, five hitter, but always an outstanding at bat, and really right now demonstrating the best first step in the outfield in the organization. That's Trendon Craig. I really think he's he plays baseball like a veteran. And he's not old and he's not overly experienced at this level, but his adjustment period from FCL to Delmarva was really short. He's an outstanding communicator in the outfield, a good teammate, you know, a long lengthy at bat. He can see pitches. He can spit on close pitches. So these are the kind of skills that add into the hardcore baseball stuff, you know, acceleration, power, hit tool and stuff like that. So I really think, uh, Trendon Craig is a guy that I don't know if he's nearing top 50 lists, but in terms of skill and what he brings to the table, it's definitely a little more than people think. You know, even if you're just like a casual fan, like a box score watcher, he's hitting three, four, or five most of the time. So, you know, the manager trusts him to bat often and have good at bats. Yeah, and and you know I do my my series after the draft where I, I do an episode on each guy of the Orioles draft and Which either have awesome. one of their coaches on or, or or the broadcaster a media member somebody who saw them all season. When I talked to Trendon's coach at Lewisburg College, I felt like that was the most glowing endorsement I got of any draft pick, and he was the twentieth rounder. He was the He's final good. draft pick for the Orioles, and again he was a little bit of an overslot guy. The money they had saved they gave to Trendon to keep him from going to NC State uh, as a transfer. But I came away from that conversation thinking. This was the 20th of 20 picks. And, you know, every guy I talk to, guy or girl that I talk to, gets me more excited about the draft pick in the moment. I don't think I came away more excited about anybody than Trendon Craig. And so definitely uh, looking forward to him moving up the system. But Eric, here to finish up, you know, I mentioned that, you know, just a little bit about the, the entire system because obviously all these talented guys are moving up the ladder. And, you know, there's some guys who you saw even back in 2019 and now, you know, up to the top. So I wanted to, to pose you a question here. I'm going to give you four names and you have to pick one that will be the first of the four to be an impact player in Baltimore. Now I would guess all four of these guys will be in Baltimore this season, but do you think DL Hall, Jordan Westberg, Gunnar Henderson, or Kyle Stowers is the first one of those four to, you know, be an impact player in Baltimore? I say that because obviously Stowers has already made his debut, but that was because of a unvaccinated Santander replacement. Uh, wow. This is a great question. And I guess 17 year old Gunner is the one that like changed the course of my life. Like I'm now focused on the minors because of what he showed me, but your question was kind of specific. So I'm going to say DL Hall, I expect his transition period to start very soon and to not be very difficult. I don't know. I don't think I'm like cursing him in saying this. Hitters are gonna get have to get used to his stuff, not the other way around. And it's been like a lifetime since the Orioles have had anybody like that. So uh, definitely DL Hall impact player, like starting in five days, seven days yeah, from now. Hopefully, I mean, it was it was 
just eye-opening and impressive for him to, you know, before the last two starts to basically say, I, you know, allude to he thinks he might have been tipping his pitches. And he, he had had, you know, basically three pretty rough starts in a row. Well, he made a change and it feels like nobody's made contact off in the last two starts. So it's crazy to see, like, you know, people were a little worried, like, oh, not worried about him long term, but basically we're like, oh, he's had three bad starts in a row. We're going to have to wait another month for him to be in the big leagues because you're you're not going to bring him up when he gives up seven runs and in three innings. But right. it was nice to see that he identified something. I'm sure the coaching staff, Justin Ramsey and such helped him, but he identified something and he had the best start of an Orioles minor league pitcher. I don't know, maybe ever on, on Tuesday afternoon. I, I, I don't think his transition, like I said, is going to be difficult. And I don't think that I'm crazy for even through Adley, through Grayson, through Kobe, through Gunner, for holding fast that he's always been my Orioles' number one prospect. I just think he's that good. Nobody. Mackenzie Gore is a good lefty. He is. He has major league experience. He's doing it. He can't make the ball move in the air like D.L. Hall as a lefty. Only he can. So... You know, it's not anything personal or really like he's my super favorite. He's just an amazing talent that's ready to be performing at the highest level. I think, I honestly think for Orioles fans, his debut and what's going to come of it is as exciting as what Adley has brought, which is significant. I was in the ballpark for Adley's debut. If it happens at home, I will certainly be in the ballpark for D.L. Hall's debut. But Eric, before I let you go, just want to give you a chance. I know you're doing some writing, watching all these guys in the FCL. And you're doing some podcasting as well, just to plug anything that you have going on or, or coming up in terms of uh, Orioles or prospect content. Uh, I do. I have a pair of podcasts, Florida Prospect Report and Utah Street South, which is like Orioles focused because, you know, so much of my life is that way. Uh, I've got stuff coming out of Utah Street Report, so you can follow follow there. And uh, I guess uh, I listen to your show like every single day, every single morning when I walk with my dog. So tomorrow I'll be... I'll be listening to me, which will be a little bit weird. But again, thank you so much for having me. And I love that uh, that, that Scooter knows my voice at this point. But uh, yeah. Eric, yeah, thank you so much for coming back on the pod. And as the listeners know, uh, this won't be the last time uh, that we have you on this season. But uh, thanks again for joining. You got it. So that was Eric Garfield. Follow him at Eric underscore Birdland on Twitter for all of the Orioles FCL content that you need for the baby birds that are coming next in the O's system. We'll be back here on the pod on Monday, of course, recapping the Orioles four-game weekend series against the Angels. Hopefully it's another series win I'm talking about with my three big takeaways when I come back on Monday. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.